Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. You know, what I've been doing, like I said, we've had chosen, so Steve was here last week and something the week before, what have you, so I haven't been able to really get a lot of things, you know, Sunday to Sunday. But as I said in the beginning when I started to teach, like I said, I want to really, God's really instructed me to, to really get back <clears throat> fresh to teach on what the intercessory life actually looks like. And so I spent the first few Sundays, you know, speaking about some of the foundational issues. We're still going to teach on foundational issues. The first two weeks, remember, I taught about the fact that you, as a Christian, by the, the very fact that you call yourself a Christian, that you are to be aware of the unseen realm, that you're to believe in the unseen realm. You know, Paul said it's all through Scripture. We, he said, we look not at things that are seen. Now again, don't just shut your mind off again because you know the verse, maybe. Remember, the only verse you know is the verse you believe. Quoting the verse means nothing. Paul said, since we look not, since we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are unseen, he said, because the things that are seen, he said, anything and everything that you can see is subject to change. It's temporal. It's subject to change. If you can see it, it can change. But he said, we look to things that are unseen. And he said, because the things that are unseen are eternal, immortal, Everlasting, forever, the things that are unseen. And of course, one of the basic premises of what that means for us as who call ourselves followers of Christ is that we know the only way we can see the invisible realm is by faith, is to believe. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen, right? The basics, you know, Christianity 101. So in moving towards it, like I said, then we talked about that. Then we shifted, and like I said, I just introduced the fact that also one of the major basic foundation truths about going into, in particular, the intercessory prayer life, not just prayer in general terms, but is to understand that we are called to something. It sounds totally contradictory. We're called to conflict, but we're called to peace at the same time. This morning, um, for some reason, my mind just kept going down that old familiar verse, Isaiah 26, 3, where the prophet said, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And I got stuck there on that one phrase, whose mind is stayed, whose mind is stayed on thee. And uh, it just stuck me again about how, how huge the fight is if we're honest, how huge the fight is to stay God conscious. You know, I'm a minister of this stuff, and I can tell you that I still, every single day of my life, you know, I have to, as it were, press through to stay God-minded. In other words, there's just so much stuff out there, so much information going out, so many things, you know, the moment you turn the television on, the moment anything, I don't care what it is, the moment you look outside, anything and everything would distract you from having an awareness of heaven, an awareness of Christ, an awareness of Christianity. I mean, I'm just being honest. That's the truth, isn't it? It is. Whether you say yes or no, it is. It's the truth. So there's a bit of pressure that comes with following Christ, to say the least. And I began to share some scriptures about that. You know, how David said, thanks, thanks be unto God who, who, caused, who taught my fingers how to fight, who taught me how to bend a bow of steel so that I could fight. I mean, David actually says God taught him to war and taught him to fight. Now, thankfully today, it's not like the movie 300. We're not the Spartans. We don't have to actually go out there and put on armor or in that case, wear a loincloth and run out with a spear in our hands. I wouldn't look good doing that. You know what I mean? I don't want that image in anybody's mind right now. That's a horrible image. (laughs) But we don't have to go out there and physically, physically fight to say the least. But I guarantee you, at least in my Christian experience, like I said, I've learned that we do have a fight. It's a huge fight. We have things that happen around us all the time that will steal our peace, 
and it will frustrate your prayer life. I mean, in a hot New York second, your prayer life can just become nothing by virtue of the things that take place around us. And I'm telling you, it takes some aggression in your spirit. You have to know how to say no to anything and everything that will deflect God from your life. It's just that simple. I could put this in very pearly or wonderful, beautiful little coin words, but the fact is it's just that. There's stuff that comes to steal. Now, we all know Jesus said the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. Anyhow. So I, I just want to go for a little bit further now, like I said, because at least even next week, Julie will speak next week, but so I'll, then we'll jump and I'll speak at least another two Sundays in a row. But anyhow, so this morning, as we pursue this, I, it may not sound like I'm teaching about prayer, but I'm trying to lay this foundation fresh to get something back in our thinking so that we can see some of the issue, what it really is. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 64, right in the first verse for a moment here. I'm going to just uh, read a couple of things here. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Again, you guys all know I read from the Amplified Bible. And this, this first statement, this is God's people. Isaiah is reflecting about this. And God's people are saying this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. That the mountains might quake and flow down at your presence as when fire kindles the brushwood and the fire causes the waters to boil. To make your name known. In other words, would you, we'd love for you to come down. To make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did terrible things, which we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. And then verse 4, he says, for from of old, no one has heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who works and shows himself active on behalf of him who earnestly waits for him. Right? So the people are saying, we want God to do something. We remember the tales of old of how God did this and did that, the mighty works of God that he, that he wrought, you know, what happened. And then, you know, he comes down in verse 5, 6, and 7. He comes down, down and he, they, he says, you know, but our righteousness, all this stuff has happened bad. But anyhow, verse 7 is when the prophet says this, and no one calls on your name and awakens and bestirs himself to take and keep hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the consuming power of our iniquities, and so on. And he goes on to give this plea and share, and I could read the whole chapter. But basically what's being said here again, oh, that you would come down or in the heavens. God, we need you to come and do something. We have a problem. We need you to come down. We know we've heard all the stories of old, how you came down, you parted the Red Sea, you did this or that and the other. You know, why is the separation? Why is there the separation? Why is there separation between us and you? But basically what's happened is he begins to go through the rest of the chapter. In fact, let's turn to the first verse of the next chapter. And listen to this, Isaiah 63, verse 1. Is it on the screen? It's not on the screen yet. Let's wait for Isaiah 63, verse 1. 65, I'm sorry, Isaiah 65, verse 1. Sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'll just wait because I want to see it. See it? What's the first three, what's the first three words? Just, just read the first three words out loud with me. What's it say? Say it again. You, we have to be very honest about stuff. Listen to what God says. He said, I was ready. I just like that. I get, I got, I got, stick, I get stuck there. Like, I was ready. In other words, right from the beginning, what I want you to hear is when people of God begin to complain that God's not doing anything, that there's a distance between us and him, there's a separation, you have to ask yourself the question, who moved? <laughs> In other words, the point is God's saying, I am not the one that has moved away from you. Right? Do you hear me? God has given us promise. We all know the word in the New Testament. He will not, he will not, he will not in any way, shape, or form forsake you or ever leave you helpless or without support, ever. I will not forsake you. I will not forsake you. I will be with you until the ends of the earth, Jesus said. I mean, I will not forsake you. But you nevertheless see the situation where God says, I was ready to be inquired of by those who asked you, who asked not. I was ready to be found by those who sought me not. I said, here I am. 
here I am, says I am, to a nation, Israel, that has not called on my name. And he keeps on going, but I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But what I'm trying to get you to see when we talk about the basics of prayer and the sense that there's a separation between God's will and man's will, that we have to understand that it is still true that iniquity, iniquity isn't sin. Iniquity are the patterns of life that lead you towards sin. It's injustice in a generation. But nevertheless, God says, I'm always ready. And I want you to know he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is ready. God is ready. I don't care what the situation may be in your life. He is there. He is ready. Amen? But he's waiting for people to call upon him according to his plan so that he might indeed do what he always had wanted to do. The point is, as far as moving towards deeper teaching and understanding about this intercessory life, you have to go ahead and make the decision. You know, you have to get some... When I was in high school, you know, when I first was introduced to geometry, they give you postulates and theorems. And you have to learn all these postulates, and you have to learn these theorems because they're the foundational information that you have to have to solve any other problems down the road. And I got the measles. When I was a young boy, for some reason, I had the measles like five or six times way back when I was a kid. And it's supposed to only happen like once, but I had the German measles. I had regular measles. I had all kinds of measles. And some of them would be dangerous, but I was just a measly little boy. Hallelujah. But anyhow, I missed the first, and I, I missed the first uh, three weeks of high school in geometry. And, of course, that's when everybody had to learn the theorems and the postulates. And so, basically, when I came back to the geometry class, I wound up having to drop the whole class because I could not keep up. I couldn't do anything because I hadn't got down those basic truths that you had to have to solve problems, cause geometry, to solve geometry problems. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to say, when it comes to some of this truth we have about God, I mean, God in basic terms, it's, it just takes a long time. I mean, you can hear it from the best preachers on the planet, but it, some, time goes by before you actually realize or before you actually discipline your spirit to the point that you realize where there's a problem, it simply is not God's fault. It's simply not that God is uncaring or that God doesn't hear me. God is always, his ears are always open to us. We know a little, another place in Isaiah, it says, my hand, you know, the hand of the Lord is not shortened. Isaiah 59, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ill ear dull of hearing that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between us and you and so on. God's always having to say this from century to century the century, throughout the 6,000 years of what we have thus far, as far as Christian history, the issue has always been God's willingness to bless and God's willingness to show himself alive. In fact, much more than that, I mean, God still says his will is still that his people be blessed above all other peoples of the earth. Now, that's a whole other story, but, you know, that's something you have to believe as well. You have to just make the choice. It is, you know, that's why one of the most demonic doctrines that ever came into the body of Christ was the vow to poverty. There's no such thing in Scripture about that God's will has always been that he wants his people blessed, that they might be a blessing, and he wants his people blessed so that other nations might look at his people and say, what a great and wise nation this is, whose God is so near unto them when they call upon him. Now think about that testimony. God's, we're supposed to be a people that other people look to and say, my gosh, Look how close their God is to them. Look how close their God is to them. When they call upon him, he's right there. He moves in their behalf. Well, let me ask you, have we seen a whole lot of moving in our behalf? And the short answer is no. <laughs> Whose fault is it? And this is, it's not condemnation, but I'm just saying the issue is clear. God's not the one that has moved. That's all I'm trying to get at. You hear me? Please at least tell me you agree with, you understand that a bit. God's not the one that separated himself from us. We either don't ask. He said, I was ready, but no one called upon me. I was ready, I'm ready, and I really quite believe that perhaps possibly even today on the 27th day of August 2017, God's ready right now. He's ready. 
And you know, I, I, you know, I don't know why people like to study scriptures about the wrath of God, or you know, how He cut up thirty-seven, cut thirty-seven heads off, and <laughs> this, that, and the other, and stories of the old, instead of looking at scriptures like again, uh, my eyes are racing throughout the entire earth, looking for somebody, searching for somebody to show myself strong to. I mean, why not meditate on that? The fact of His constant, constant, constant aggressive activity. Searching for a people he can show himself strong to. Now again, you have to. You don't. You, you can quote that, but you got to stop and ask yourself a question: Is that really true? Is that really true? Why isn't that alive in my life? Why don't I have a? Why don't do I wake up believing that there's a God right now that's racing around this planet and saying, "I just I can't stand myself. I've got so much good. I've got so much wealth. I've got so much blessing. I've got so much." Righteousness. I've got so much healing. I just, I've got to find some people to give it to. Amen. You know, if what would happen if really a mass of people suddenly, somehow, woke up every morning, every and every morning, with that being one of the first thoughts in their spirit, instead of, oh God, it's another day. <laughs> you know what I mean? It takes the devil a long time to train you to be as negative as you can get. I know nobody here has ever been negative. You know, like you've heard me share my testimony. Ed Cole told me one day, my hero, that I was the most negative man he'd ever met. And uh, uh, he, he helped me along the way, to say the least, to get delivered from my negativity. And I still have some I'm getting delivered from. But I've seen it. I understand it. I know what it looks like now. And I am doing my utmost to make sure it does not rule in my mind. I said it does not rule in my mind. It just doesn't. I serve a great God who's always willing. And you know what? If something I, I've learned, okay, Rod can get disappointed, but God will never disappoint Rod. Rod just has to understand a lot of principles that are happening in this world. This is the big, big, big world. Everybody outside, everybody on this planet is a spirit being. Spiritual laws work for people saved and unsaved. Did you hear me? Spiritual laws work. Do you understand how much unbelief is being spoken in the world every day? Do you understand how much unbelief is being spoken? There's an entire atmosphere that's pregnant with, you know, 75-foot deep unbelief out there in these streets. You're walking through mud when it comes to walking in the Spirit. This is why, again, it's so good to come to the house of God because you get around people of like precious faith and you can create, you can pierce the darkness like the book. You can pierce that darkness and begin to blast a hole open in that darkness and begin to create an atmosphere of light. You begin to create an atmosphere where the blessing of God can flow as much as it wants to. But never, ever, ever, ever doubt the fact that we're fighting against a massive, massive, massive uh, you know, atmosphere of unbelief out there. See, you just think they they carry no weight. I tell you, 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 you the people are so wrong. You're so wrong. Every spirit being out there, every person out there is a spirit being, and they are speaking what they believe. And when they don't speak in alignment with the things of God, they're actually permeating the atmosphere with that which is unbelief, which will do its best to defeat what God wants to happen in this earth. But see, the glory of this is you have to study it all out. But God says, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way the people out there are going to be. But my people, I want you to know that it only takes one of you to put 10,000 in a flight. And see, in other words, you, begin, you need to begin to see the odds in the mathematics. It doesn't take the same number of people to blast them out of the way. But it definitely takes a significant number of people who have like precious faith to begin to break strongholds in a city, strongholds in an area, or whatever. It takes a sufficient number of people who have like precious faith, who have an understanding, a, cons a consistency of understanding of what it takes to keep aligned in faith with God, watching over things like their confession of faith. That's still in the Bible, my friends. I'm sorry. Hold fast to the confession of faith that you've been given without wavering, for faithful is he who promised. The issue is not whether or not he's faithful. The issue is whether or not we'll be faithful. I can see you're really enjoying this already. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn to a couple of other scriptures that you've never heard before. Turn to Matthew 28, the last 
chapter of Matthew 28. You know we're like the great commission is and all that good stuff. Hallelujah. Oh, and I just want to see a scripture here. And I want to ask you a question if I can find it. In Matthew 28, verse um, 16, Matthew 28, 16, says, Now the eleven disciples, Matthew 28, 16, Now the eleven disciples, this is after his resurrection, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed and made appointment with them. And when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. But some doubted. <laughs> I love God's people. I love the disciples. This, these are the disciples that some doubted. Anyhow. But Jesus approached and breaking the silence, he says to them, he turns to these guys. Now I know, say I've heard this a thousand times, but just, just listen. Jesus approached, verse 18, and breaking the silence, said to them, All authority. All authority. All authority. All power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? I remember when we spoke, I said a couple of weeks ago, I went to that basic truth again about the people who say there's no need for, you know, it's, it's totally unbiblical that, that this doctrine of quote-unquote spiritual warfare they say because, of course, Jesus 100% defeated the devil at Calvary. Therefore, the devil is 100% defeated. Therefore, there's no need to do war against the devil or anything like that. And I always smile when people say that because I know what they're trying to get at. But my classic and oldest illustration is just this. It's absolutely true. I want a billion percent agree. Jesus Christ dealt Satan a paralyzing blow. That's what it says. He led captivity captive, right? He just, it literally says he destroyed him. He destroyed him who had the power of death, right? That he might deliver those who all through their lifetime have been held in bondage due to the fear of death. But the fact of the matter is Jesus told us that the devil is a thief. That the devil is a thief. And so I always just try to You've got to keep thinking about this. Is in the, and my illustration, again, remember, is this. Is it against the law? Is it against the law in London for somebody to go into your house and steal stuff from your house? Is burglary against the law? Is burglary against the law? But see, if you go through the same logic that people go through who say there's no, there's no need for spiritual warfare, then I have to ask people, then we can say the same thing. Because it's been made totally unlawful. It's totally unlawful for people to break into your house. It's totally unlawful. Therefore, if other people can say there's no need for spiritual warfare, I can say there's no need for locks on your doors. Because then there's no more burglars in London. Amen? How many agree with me that there's no burglars in London? Right? Right? No. There's still thieves here. And the issue there for us, that's right, Jesus absolutely won the victory. But the victory that overcomes this world is our faith in what he has done. And the issue is you have to enforce the law, don't you? I said you have to enforce the law. You have to enforce the truth that it's illegal. Which is why, again, the real basis of all true intercession, when you study Isaiah 59 really clearly, it's about justice. God said he looked and saw that there was no justice. And he said, I'm, a, I'm God, I love justice. I mean, this, you can teach for 14 hours on justice. The issue of prayer is bringing justice where there's injustice, okay? Did you hear that? Seriously, you've got, this is basic. But again, if we don't go back and revisit this, then you'll just start throwing up, well, no, for John 14, you ask anything in my name and you'll have it, and you'll say that, but you don't have any of the underworkings of what really takes place. In other words, God doesn't want you to get surprised by stuff, and God doesn't want you to freak out about things that happen because he said stuff's going to happen, but you have to learn how to war a successful warfare. So, yes, there's an enemy is still out there, and again, the basic truth, remember Jesus 
at the cross didn't take Satan's power. He took back all of man's authority that Satan had taken from man in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. Now, did you hear that? That, again, is one of the most important precepts of Christianity there is. Jesus Christ took back all authority. All authority in heaven and in earth. All authority has been given unto him. And then the next verse here in Matthew 28, he says, go what? He says, go ye therefore. And again, Dr. P.C. Nelson said all the years ago, this foremost Greek scholar, he said, if, script, if words mean anything, it says it means that God, that Jesus Christ actually delegated authority to his followers and said, I'm the one that has all authority in heaven and in earth and actually under the earth because his name is above everything, beings in heaven, beings in earth and beings under the earth. And he said, I'm giving you my authority. I mean, you can look back in Luke and even during Jesus's ministry before he died and was raised from the dead, he gave his disciples authority over all the power of the devil to go and to deliver people from demons and to heal their sick even before he died and was raised from the dead. He carried such a strength, such an authority, and he said, I give you that. And you remember one of the classic verses that always used to make me smile when you actually think about it is that they go out and they come back. Remember the Bible says the disciples come back rejoicing, saying to Jesus, Jesus, it is so cool. You rock. We went out there, and I mean, even the devils are subject to us in your name. The devils are subject to us. I mean, they saw devils leaving and screaming and fleeing out of people all the time. We saw devils leave. Devils have left. They're subject to us in your name. And remember what Jesus' reply, it's so powerful. He said, don't rejoice. I mean, he said, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you. In other words, he says, guys, that's not supposed to be that big of a deal. See, but we make devils again to be some gigantic, gigantic issue. But what do you do with that scripture? Jesus said, basically, so what? <laughs> You're rejoicing because devils are subject? So Jesus kind of knows that devils are subject to his name. I said, Jesus kind of knows that all demons, all hell is subject to his name and the authority that he carries. But he said, don't rejoice over that. He said, guys... You don't understand what this means yet, but he said, I saw myself, I saw my eyes, I saw Satan cast out of heaven. It happened so quick, he said, it was like lightning coming out of the sky. I mean, kabam, excuse me, I woke everybody up, you that were sleeping, Des back there. But I mean, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I mean, again, I, I can't help it, I had a vivid imagination, you know, growing up in in the West, what happened with big for real lightning storms. I've never seen a for real lightning storm over here, but I mean the one where it's hitting like every 20 feet, you know, from you and stuff and ground and gravel spitting all over the place and they're freaking you out. I mean, you know, it's a powerful thing. And Jesus said, I saw, you know, he said, guys, I watched his fall. I watched his fall. He said, don't rejoice in that. He said, if you're going to rejoice anything, rejoice that your names are written in the book of God. He said that your names are known in heaven. In other words, guys, what we rejoice over is the revelation of eternal life. But nevertheless, we come back to this. Do we believe, Matthew 28, verse 18, that all authority? Again, it's so easy to quote. See, I don't know where to go sometimes from here as a preacher. I really don't. Because I know, like I said, you know, I, I've, I sat out there for so many years myself. We all have. I've taught this for years, and basically I said I believe it. But like I said, the only scriptures you actually know are the ones that you really do believe. And the only scripture you believe are the ones you act on, are the ones you live. Well, what happens when that quote unquote exercises authority and nothing happens? You know, I don't know. Well, a lot of, but like I said, a lot of it has to do, you know, like the, the heartbreaking thing, and not to bring attention like to Ann, but, you know, Pete Bellingham, Pete fighting, all of us fighting for him to be cured of that cancer, you know. Just breaks your heart. You're using every tool that you know. You're praying every scripture that you know. And you know, the, I mean, we've made the decision. It's too late. We believe the Bible. But I always remember, you may have heard me refer to this before, you know, F. F. Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. 
greatest book on healing outside the Bible that's ever been written. And again, I never will forget, at least this statement of Bosworth so impacted me. He said people would come to us all the time and talk about our conferences and share, oh, about Brother Bosworth, it's incredible, the hundreds and hundreds of massive healings that take place in your conferences all the time. You must be so proud of what God does. You must be so amazed and so live in such wonder. And Bosworth's answer was, he said, he said, we actually, what we stand amazed is, he said, is how many don't get healed. What we think of is how many don't get healed. He said, we've had to live with the fact that we're living. Well, the way he explained it, he said, Jesus, remember himself, could not do any mighty works in his own hometown due to their unbelief, right? But this is a statement he made. He said, I'm surprised I'm surprised that we have as many healings as we do because he said, whereas Jesus labored in a Nazareth of unbelief, he said, today we're laboring, we're laboring in a universal Nazareth of unbelief. And you've got to stop and think on that statement. He's saying what I'm saying out here. Spirit beings are releasing faith every moment of the day in stuff that is not God's will. And there's an ocean of unbelief out here. But here we are, and like I said, we're called to turn the tide. But this is going back to the illustration about it being unlawful. And this is why, again, you have to go back to really have a grasp on our intercessory prayer life. You have to go back to Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 about binding and loosing as well. And you have to remember what it says. Jesus said, you have to know, guys, what's lawful in heaven. Don't, right? And he said, you have to know what's unlawful at heaven. Because he said, you have to know this. He said, if you know what's lawful in heaven, he said, then you have the right to release on earth what's lawful in heaven. And he said, if you know what's unlawful, unlawful in heaven, he said, you have to decree and declare it unlawful here. And say, we can, amen. I'm not going to say this because what Sheila just said, hallelujah. I say hallelujah to it too. But how many of us, how many of us really understand it comes back to that? What are you declaring lawful? See, the issue is, what are you giving permission to the devil to do? Because he no longer, the devil, if the Bible is true, he no longer has any authority. The only, and how many ever times you've heard it, I don't care, hear it afresh. The only authority he has is the authority you give back to him. Through the words of your mouth, through the confession of your mouth, through your unbelief. We are the ones that give him permission. This is why, see, there's so many topics that have to be covered when you come to the issue of successful, what we would call successful prayer. And why, to me, there's such a vast difference between people of prayer, thank God for people of prayer, and somebody who's actually called as an intercessor. Because intercessors are a completely different breed of animal as far as the biblical definition of an intercessor. We can all intercede. Don't misunderstand me again. But very few have actually experienced being the intercessor in a situation. That's the Isaiah 62 thing about somebody who actually has laid hold of God to the point that he refuses to let him go. It's my life. It's what I wake up with and what I go to bed with. Like I used to say, I've only been an intercessor twice, maybe three times in my life, and according to the things I've studied. And I remember like I used, to, I used to wake up and try to get rid of this. I didn't want to pray anymore about that. I tried. I, I didn't want it around me, but I couldn't. God had put it in my gut. He, it was spirit level. It was gut level. I couldn't release it. I mean, I just could not not pray. I could not not profess the declarations of God over this situation. And, you know, 
by the, please don't miss me, by the grace of God, I experienced what it meant to stick with something until the job was done. I, in these two cases, and I mean, he really will deal with you when you're young. So you have to learn to shut your mouth. You have to learn to not tell everybody, I'm interceding for this. Because it's such a holy thing before God. It's a whole other level of elite special force type stuff. <laughs> and it's something that if you feel like you have to tell everybody about it, you diminish, any, you diminish the might and the power that should be associated with it. Because God, remember the, the very power behind intercession, the word itself, is selflessness. In other words, nothing that will draw benefit or attention to you. And so you have to learn. You do it in the midnight hour. You do it alone or whatever. And then it's something that you... But God, if you see it through, He will let you. I'm telling you, it's a freak. He will let you see that you were the one, that you were the one that caused something to happen, that caused the will of God to come to pass in the situation. But then you'll be mightily tested again because you know what? You'll want to go tell 3,500 people and write 16 newsletters. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you know, the Bible, thank God for community prayer and public prayer and everything else and communal prayer and, you know, all of us praying. I'm a full 100% believer in it. But private prayer is where the real power winds up being discovered. It's when you pay the price to get alone and do something when you get the opportunity to be alone other than watch your favorite program or watch Arsenal get beat. Uh, sorry, Des. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. I don't want to prophesy that over your team, Des. But Jesus said all authority. And see, I, that's where as long as I've been teaching this stuff, that's where I have to always come back to, do I still believe this? Is it still, is it fresh in my understanding? Is it fresh? Is it really that, do I actually believe all authority? In other words, so am I able to pray for Peter Bellingham, watch him die early, earlier than he should have, and not kill myself, blame myself, go mad? I mean... And just stop believing God. In other words, okay, this, and say those words, this stuff doesn't work. Is that what it will take to make me get to that place? Because I guarantee you that is what you will be tempted with, isn't it? This doesn't work. But that's a lie. It does work. But there's just a whole lot of other stuff going on in the background, my friends. And we're not making excuses. I'm talking about what God says. If, like I said, given the time to really take out some of the stuff that's said in the prophets and what have you. There's all kinds of this peripheral stuff that's happening in the atmosphere that creates hindrances, obstacles, and blockages to what God's will is coming to pass. <sighs> so, within each and every one of us, like I started to say, like I'm, where I'm going to with all this, I don't, I've already taken, oh, I'm so good, I still have an hour. Hallelujah. Yes, amen, right? David's so happy he hasn't been here in a long time. He's a... But uh, we went back to this issue now about, okay, so we're, we're going to need to know afresh, Wad has to learn how to be a good soldier. So let me quote these verses again that I was with the last time I was with you. I'm just going to quote them. You do not have to turn there. But 2 Timothy 2.3 is the one that says again, endure hardness as a good soldier. In other words, he said, you need to expect there to be hardness, tough times. Do you hear me? Endure hardness as a good soldier. The classic verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it speaks of the weapons of our warfare. Now, the Bible just flat says we have a warfare. So how can people say there's no warfare once you're born again? No, there is a warfare. There's a warfare. But remember where the warfare is according to 2 Corinthians 10? Everybody pat that beautiful head of yours. It's here. See the renewal of the mind. Oh my God, the renewal of the mind. If you'll keep your mind stayed on him, God will keep you at perfect peace. It's this mind that goes nuts. 
You want an answer. You want an answer. You want an answer. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Somebody give me an answer. Somebody make me understand. 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 Listen. Um, as one man said many years ago, the Bible was never meant to be understood. It was meant to be believed. It comes from a higher power. <laughs> it comes from a higher revelation. And we're down here, creations, with this finite little brain, and we're trying, we're daring to say that we can fully explain a holy, eternal God. I guess none of you heard that. You're actually going to tell me that you can fully explain. That you can fully explain a holy an invisible creator God. You can't. None of us can. This is why, again, it comes back to the principle of what we call faith. I'm sorry. People say there's no, you know, the faith message was the worst thing. So many people still speak against the faith message. <laughs> you know, God bless you. That's all I can say. You know, what do you do? Without faith, it's, you just can't please God. Faith is still that currency. The way you make exchange between what heaven has and what earth has. It's what you believe. What you believe determines your atmosphere. What you believe. A rod has to work on this every day. I can let a day go by. Sometimes I let two days go by, but I pay for it. Every single time I pay for it. Because I find my mind being flooded with some doubt here and some doubt there. Or my mind wanders to stuff that it shouldn't wander to. And I have to bring it back. I have to take those thoughts captive. That's the whole Second Corinthians 10 issue, isn't it? You need to understand. We have weapons. There is a warfare. And most of us with our mind, you're going to have to pull down strongholds. You're going to have to cast down imaginations. You're going to have to learn how to bring every. Now, it says every. I'm sorry. It says every. It says you need to learn how to bring every thought into captivity to what? To the mind of Christ. So anyhow, 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare. Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle, not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, powers. Wrestle. Jude, verse 3, we are to earnestly contend for the faith. 1 Timothy 6, 12, we fight the good fight of faith. So I always... When I used to teach this years ago, I said, look at the terminology. Just look at the terminology. Hardness, soldier, weapons, warfare, wrestle, contend, fight. I'm going to say it again. Hardness, soldier, weapons, warfare, wrestle, contend, fight. And I always tell people, does that sound like an English tea party? No. In other words, there's something we got to do down here. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't fall on us like ripe cherries off a tree. See, the body of Christ, the majority, now it is the truth. Don't get mad at me. It is the truth that 99% of the body of Christ come to church to have some sweet thing spoken over them and to have a good thematic or topical discussion spoken or talk about the things of the day and what have you. And all of that is necessary. Don't misunderstand me. All of that's necessary or good. But again, like I said, at George Barna's latest research, like I said, only 2.5% of churches across the all of the Western civilization actually teach the Bible. They don't teach the scriptures. They don't expositorily teach what God's words say. They share messages. They give sermons. And again, I quote my Dr. Ed Cole. He said, the greatest, weakness for the greatest reason for the weakness in the body of Christ is because people have now been taught to hear sermons as opposed to taught to study the Bible for themselves. When it's all said and done, guys, what changed Rod Anderson's life from being a heroin addict and from being involved in the level of violence that I was involved in and what saved me out of the penitentiary was this word of God. It wasn't somebody's clever conversation. It was this word. It was me pouring myself. It was me physically, by the grace of God, being... being uh, Absolutely, well, I forget, remanded. I was remanded to Teen Challenge by the court. I had a choice of either going back for 24 years and nine months or to go for nine months to Teen Challenge. I mean, I didn't have a choice, but by grace of God, that's what happened. You know, my testimony, and, 
and I was sent to a place where, like I said, five hours a day, I was taught the Bible by an incredible Bible teacher. And yes, my brain got washed, and as I always say, because my brain needed washing. And I was just flooded. I was flooded. I was flooded with the Bible. Oh, the New Testament, the New Testament, five hours a day, five days a week, not counting going to a different church every Sunday with Teen Challenge. Left straight from there, I go to Raymond Bible Training Center, five hours a day, five days a week. I'm being taught the Bible, mostly the New Testament. Yes, Old Testament survey and all that stuff. And every Sunday going to a really faithful church. So I had two years in a row where five hours a day, five days a week, Rod was taught the Bible and taught the integrity of God's word. And that's the only reason I'm alive today. So it means a lot to me. <laughs> I would rather be here in church than be in prison. I don't know if that's a revelation to some of you or not. But I mean, hallelujah, this is better. Church is better than prison. That's what you learned in church today. Everybody go, what did you learn in church today? I learned that church is better than prison. <laughs> hallelujah, church is better than heroin addiction. Church is better than violence and having to carry a knife and a gun and getting shot at and shooting and all those things that look like fun on TV, but I'm here to tell you in real life they're not fun. Hallelujah. They're not that fun. It's wonderful to watch them on TV, but when you have bullets going by your ears, and just ripping and little bits of blood come on your ear because they're that close, that makes you go, this isn't really as fun as it looks like on TV. It's better to be in church and be a preacher, David. <laughs> thank I mean, so thank God for his word. But these scriptures show us that to be successful, to really have any form of success in our prayer lives, I'm just saying these are some of the foundational things all the way back to the beginning. God said, I am ready to hear, but there's nobody who calls upon me. I'm ready to hear, but all this stuff has put a, a distance between us. But again, you have to believe and take that from the beginning when you say, okay, wait a minute. God's not the one that moved away. I'm the one that moved away. So I'm just saying, if I want to be better, quote, unquote, if I want to have more results in Rod's prayer life, then of course I'm going to have enough intelligence to do everything I can to stay as near to the will of God as I can. Uh, so I learned to renounce stuff. You know, I just know if it's dark, I say no to it. If it's light, I'll say yes to it. You know, you know what I mean? Just the basics. Now, and again, I need to finish here in a minute, but I'm going to just quote a couple of verses from last time. John 14, verse 30. Jesus said, I will not talk with you much more. For the prince, the evil genius. And I always used to stop and read that. You See, this is... you. Again, the devil is real. And in Scripture, the words where Jesus speaks about him, he is called a genius. What is a genius? Someone that can think a whole lot better than you and me in most cases. And again, Ephesians, the whole armor of God teaching that we've been taught for so many years, what does it say? It says that you have to put this armor on so that you can stand successfully against all the what of the devil? All the wiles of the devil. What's the word wiles mean? Remember? Strategy. The, you got, what? He says that you might be able to stand successfully against the strategies that hell has. You know, what a, you, you know the basics of what a strategy is, don't you? A plan, a device in which to get something done. Satan has a strategy. He plans. It's like a war table. Where are the weak places in this battle? Where are the weak places in the line of this family? Where am I always successful in attacking them? What is something, you've heard me say many times, what's the bait they always bite at? And again, I, I know I repeat myself. I know how many times you've heard this. I'm only, I know how many times I've heard this. But are we to stop saying it? Or when do we wake up to it? Quit blaming God. Quit 
blaming God for failures. Quit blaming God when things don't go exactly like you want them to go. Understand you are in a conflict. Understand there are all, there is an opposite evil force that does not want you to be blessed. And he works more than any place else in your mind. That's truly all. How many books have been written about the battleground of the mind? Joyce Meyer, everybody. It's the mind. It's that mind. It's that thinking. You can't, you can't stop thinking. You can't stop thinking. It's just, I'm no good. I'll never be any good. I'm a failure. Always going to be a failure. Nobody understands me. Poor me. Whatever it is, it's that constant negativity, that constant voice saying no when God says yes. It says no, and you get so trained to hearing no that when somebody says yes, you think it, you know, it's, it can't, it's a lie. That will never happen for me. Then he gets you on that. And you start. It's just a never-ending process. Listen, if you don't have some kind of old-fashioned fight in you, this is what I mean, you just never will make it. This is why the whole teaching about all Christians being pacifists and being sweet and cuddly, you know, being all syrupy, sweet, just don't get it. That's the reason the world has gone to hell in a handbag as it is. Slowly but subtly. You know, the Bible is very clear in the book of Daniel how the wicked one, the evil one, speaking of Satan, that he'll, dil- he'll dilute morality little by little. He wears out the saints of the Most High. The whole LGBTRF, whatever, how many letters they're adding on to it, <laughs> all of that stuff, you know, it was unheard of until people began to give place here and give place there, and give place there. And now, pretty soon, again, you know, we are the ones that are wrong. The ones who say it's simply not the will of God. You know, we're accused of anything and everything you can be accused of. When nobody's even saying anything against them, we're trying to speak against the practice that they're involved in, and we're trying to save lives. Well, you know, anyhow, but here we are. And for whatever reason, God has chosen that you and I be alive at such a time as this. My days aren't over. I'm telling you, they're not over. There's nothing in me that wants to retire, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but, I, but, but I'm just serious. There's, I, you know, I am, I don't know how to put it. I don't know if it's egotistical. I don't, I don't think I'm egotistical about it. I, I, Legacy is a big issue. I want to leave a good footprint when I leave, after I breathe my last breath. I want, I want, if nothing else, to be said that you know that he did his best to live a good life. As simple as that. That he did his best to try to communicate the truth of God. You know, I don't have to be great in the eyes of this and the other, but I just mean for my own soul's sake. You know what I mean? But I do know this: that I have to live intentionally. You can't just wait for life to happen to you. If you do, you live on the defensive. Remember, when it comes to the rules of war, let me just finish with this. I can't get to the rest of the scriptures. But uh, S.L.A. Marshall, Men at War. It's a book from many, many years ago. And that's where I read about one of the things, this statement about the, there's only four possible postures there's only, I've shared this many times, but hear it again. There's only four possible postures in war. And they are this. Offense, defense, detente, or desertion. The only one hell's afraid of is the offense, is when you live offensively. You hear me? So hell's strategy is to get you, number one, the biggest, most successful strategy that hell has is to keep you living defensively. You wait until something comes at you before you build a fort, before you build a house, before you get locks on the doors of your mind. You wait until you get attacked. Or you get into the devil will trick you into detente. Detente is what's seen in the book of Nehemiah when the enemies of God's people, Sanballat and Tobiah, they come and they say, Nehemiah, let's go down to the plain of Ono and let's talk and see if we can come into some form of an agreement. Let's negotiate. And remember, I'm one of my favorite quotes in the Bible where Nehemiah basically says this. He says, shall such a man as I go and speak to such a people as you? I think not. <laughs> but what detente is, it means to you begin to negotiate with the enemy. 
There's no negotiating with Satan. There is no negotiation. But, but he'll try to get you there. He'll try to get you to compromise here. He says, I'll let up on you if you do this. But the final, and sadly, another real, real issue in the body of Christ, the final choice is desertion. Some people have just flat out said, I want nothing to do with this stuff. I want nothing to do with fighting. If I can't go to a church where everybody just sings sweet songs and everybody just kisses each other and there's bake sales and every Sunday we get to experiment a new flavor of cupcake or a new drink or whatever, I, then I don't, I don't want to go to a church where anything is demanded of me. Did you hear me? And you, it's wonderful to have your ears tickled. But I'm talking about intercessory life. I'm talking about, remember, the, I'll give you my final illustration. I'll just remind you what I said before. One of the simple illustrations that God showed me, remember when I said about like, the devil's a thief, right? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And how dare we, if, if, if we're to believe, it's okay. That's how most people enjoy my preaching. It's all right. But you know, the whole issue about, like I said, why do we put locks on doors? If we believe it's against the law for burglars, and, you know, why do we even have locks on our cars? Why do we have locks on our doors? Well, because we know that even though it's unlawful, there are thieves, Right? So we have to understand, it's unlawful for Satan to do this. God has, Jesus has got all authority, but there is still a thief. He doesn't care what has been made illegal. He will still steal if there's a door for him to steal. That's why the Bible says, give no place. You have to give a place. You have to give a place. I never even mentioned, but like this verse, I started reading John 14. It says, Jesus said in John 14, 30, I will not talk with you much more for the prince, the evil genius, the ruler of the world is coming and he has no claim on me. Amplified says he has nothing in common with me. There's nothing in me that belongs to him and he has no power over me. In the Greek, it's wonderful what it says, P.C. Nelson's study of it. It says, it literally says, there's nothing in me that Satan can attach himself to. There's nothing in me. And boy, that's one of my prayers. <laughs> Father, somehow, some way, I'd love to. I want to get to the point where there's, he, can, he just can't get me there. See, and I've got a whole lot of victories in my life. There's still some that I'm, you know, like I said, I'm human. We're all flesh. None of us are free. I still got areas. But I tell you, I've won hundreds of battles where he'll come at this, and I just laugh. laugh. You're going to come at me. I've, I won that years ago. I've won, you know, you can't tip me with that. That's long gone. It's in the dust. It's dead. It's stinking. Ain't nothing there anymore. Hallelujah. You can't get me there. But, you know, again, we're, what, what's in us that he can attach to? What, is there pride? Is there something about where your ego has to be stroked? Or you have to have your own way. I mean, bless God, it's my way or the highway. <laughs> you know, the old joke. No, it's not my way, the highway. It's your way. Oh, well. Anyhow, hallelujah. <laughs> but... This whole thing about the thieves, there's thieves. And what a real intercessor becomes, see, uh, why, what is our defense against burglars in London? It's what? Policemen. Right? The big issue right now, and they talk about it, there's not enough police. And think about it, I forget, when the overall population of London is something like what? Let's just say it's around nine and a half million. Say nine million, whatever. I just don't fight over that. But again, I looked at it actually a while back when I did it. The police force in London is something like 32,500 working officers on the street. 32,000. Think about it. 32,500 officers to quote-unquote enforce the law where there's nine and a half million people. Is there enough police to see everything that happens? Of course not. But the issue is there are some police. To me, God showed me that's to a fast degree what an intercessor is. It's somebody who has his eyes open, who, has to, who learns to patrol at least his area. See, I can't patrol everybody's area, but bless God, I can patrol mine. We need more police. So we need more people who will really get into intercessory prayer, much less prayer itself. But we have to have this old-fashioned little ability to fight. 
I'll read it anyhow. Second, I said I'm going to stop, and I know I always do, but let me read, just read it anyhow. I'll just quote these from my notes. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. A whole incredible thing about Paul's dealing with the people from First Corinthians when people were caught in incest and they had to have them driven out of the church. But now the people have repented, and Paul is asking them to restore these people back into their affection that had sin. But Paul says here in the 10th verse, Second Corinthians, If you forgive anyone anything... I too forgive that one, and what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sakes in the presence and with the approval of Christ the Messiah. What's verse 11 say? Is it up there? Verse 11? What's it say? What's it say? Let well, I me mean, look at that verse. He said, this way, one of the major, major, major jive issues is still in the body of Christ. We don't know how to forgive one another. We don't realize people still screw up. People are people. People mess up. I mean, I don't. I'm perfect. Ask Julie. Right, babe? Okay. <laughs> no, but think about it. I mean, what do you do with that? You have to forgive. Otherwise, you give Satan permission to take advantage of you. God, and to me, it's just like, so, you know, what do you need? How do you, what kind of words does it need to say it in before you understand it? We forgive, just like we would have people forgive us. I am not ignorant of Satan's intentions or his strategy. He wants Rod to be in unforgiveness. When Julie doesn't make my toast in the morning with my jam exactly like I wanted, I'm unhappy. And so I will be in unforgiveness until she butters every little part of the toast. Not just like they do in England where they go, eh, eh. I want my toast buttered. No. That's a, that's a joke, friend. That's a joke. Uh, to keep Satan, I mean, look at that verse, man. Why do we forget? I mean, do you want, see, to me, I don't know, I just, do you want Satan? to be in a position where he can take advantage of you. If you're in this world, people are going to hurt you. People are going to say dumb things. People are going to do stupid stuff. Trust me, people are stupid. <laughs> but here's God wanting his son, wanting us to see what his son did for us. Forgive even as you were forgiven. Because he's trying to say, he's trying to prove to us that the greatest power in all the universe is still love. That faith works through love. That we forgive. Anyhow. And Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the ground. James 4, 7, submit yourself to God. What's the next part say, David? Resist who? Resist Rod, did you say? Submit yourself to God. I mean, he said if we would submit ourselves to his truth, then we could resist the devil. And he said the devil would flee. Look, do a Greek word study on that thing. It, the fear that Satan has for any of you beginning to comprehend the authority that you walk in, it is the most frightening thing possible for the devil himself, for you to wake up to who you are in Christ and to wake up to the identity you have in Jesus Christ. It says that, remember, and there's a, I think it's James as well, where it says, where the, he says, you say you believe, he said, you do well, devils do believe, devils believe too, so it's not a big deal. People say, I believe in God, I love it. The apostles, big deal, devils believe in God too, <laughs> believe me, they believe in God, but he said, they believe in God and shudder and shudder with such fear and trembling as to make a man's hair stand on it. It says the demons shudder. See, have that picture. Don't have a picture from some movie of demonic things. You know, going to suck your brain out in a hot New York second. You know, don't have a picture of that. Like these South African movies, right? You know, sorry, I have to play. I don't know why I do it. God help me. You need to pray for your pastor much more. But, you know, it's not like, but get a picture that's true, that Satan and demons tremble with such abject fear when they know that you know 
who you are and that you know God and that you know you have authority in the name. You have no power in and of yourself. But we've been allowed to carry the name where within all power resides. Well, all of this becomes crucial. And I'm just going to shut up there. And this, this thing called prayer and living the intercessory life. So, Father, help us. Instead of saying, oh, God, I wish you'd come and do something, like it said back there in Isaiah, help us know that you're always ready. Help us know that you have never separated yourself from us, that you're right here, right now, right now. I mean, right now. You're an ever-present help. You're not a far-off. You're an ever-present help. Your hand is not shortened. Your ear is not dull of hearing. Your eyes are not dull of seeing. You're right now, right here, ready. But will we move toward you in faith, believing? Will we take advantage of this authority? Will we open our mouth and rebuke the forces that would come against us? Will we recognize, will we recognize right from wrong? Will we say, I refuse to have that thought process live in my mind? I rebuke it from my mind. I will not think that way. I am a godly man or I am a godly woman. I think godly thoughts. And I will live in a godly manner. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over my day. And I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, for showing me which way to go, to the left, to the right, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And look for somebody to encourage. Show me somebody to bless. Show me somebody to pray for. That I'll start living outwardly instead of always looking for somebody to do something for me. God, help us. <laughs> help us become alive unto what this Christian faith really is to look like. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 